Hey Logo Geeks, it's Ian Padgett here and on this week's podcast I'm joined by Jay Klaus to talk about growing as a freelance graphic designer. But before we get into that, I want to once again mention Logo Package Express, which is a tool that I believe every logo designer needs to have as part of their toolkit. Once you've completed a logo, you'll want to provide your client with all the files that they could ever need from web to print, in color, inverted, black, white, Pantone, and so on. Doing all these files manually can take quite some time, but with Logo Package Express, it takes minutes. It's an extension for Adobe Illustrator. You click a few buttons and it will automatically create all the files that you need and organize them nicely into folders too. So it saves you loads of time and also reduces room for error too. I use it on every single logo project. It's the best plugin that I use. So if you're also a logo designer like me, you absolutely need this product. So if it's something that you do plan to purchase, head to logogeek.uk forward slash extension. And if you use the promo code logogeek, you'll also get 20% off. For transparency, there is an affiliate link. So if you purchase via that link, I will receive a commission which helps to support the ongoing production of this podcast at no extra cost to you. So again, to go and check out Logo Package Express and support the Logo Geek podcast in the process, head to logogeek.uk forward slash extension and use promo code logogeek to get 20% off. So on this week's podcast, we're going to be discussing lots of different topics around working as a freelance or independent graphic designer. I speak to a lot of designers who want to really specialize in logo design as a niche. And as far as I'm aware, the only realistic way to do that is to create your own business or to work as a freelance designer. There may well be jobs out there that will only require you to design logos, but that's unlikely. If there are, it's probably very rare. Normally, graphic design jobs require you to work on lots of different types of things. So if you want to work only on logo designs and work on them from week to week to become a real specialist on the uh, craft, I personally believe the only realistic way to do that is to work for yourself. So this week, the topic of the show will be growing as a freelance designer. To talk about this topic, I'm joined by Jay Klaus, someone who actually spends his time helping creatives thrive as business owners. I actually found out about Jay fairly recently. I was on a Zoom call with a group of designers in Logo Geek Plus, uh, which is something we do every two weeks. And someone suggested to sign up to Jay's email newsletter as he offers lots of really solid advice. So that's what I did. And uh, whilst on the call, I actually signed up and I haven't been disappointed. Jay's advice is superb and his email newsletters have become one of my favorites. Jay does a lot. He also has an incredible podcast called Creative Elements, which is something I highly recommend listening to as well. So I connected with Jay. I invited him on the podcast and he kindly agreed. We cover loads in this podcast. We start by talking about common mistakes that freelancers make. We discuss the importance of systems. We speak about networking, CRMs, and also managing your finances. It's full of incredible advice for anyone working as a freelance designer or business owner. So let's get into this. Here is the interview with Jay Klaus. You've been freelancing yourself now since April 2017. And I know a big part of what you do now is help other freelancers succeed. And I know there's a lot of people in the audience that 
will probably already be freelance. Uh, they dabbled in freelance or they want to go full time. So I think this would be a good op- opportunity to dig into that a little bit more from your perspective. So I know myself, it's not an easy thing. And I've read some of your blogs and I can see that you've got an interesting perspective on it. So what are some of the common problems that you see freelancers face when they first start out? Totally. And, you know, when I got started freelancing, that word wasn't even really in my vocabulary. For me, uh, I think I came at freelancing from the opposite direction of a lot of people where I had a good background in business and entrepreneurship, particularly working at startups. And I just didn't want to have a boss anymore. And so I went out on my own and I just was confident that I could figure that out. And by virtue of people asking if they could pay me to do certain things, I found myself freelancing. And so the the biggest mistake that I see so many freelancers make is just they're uncomfortable with the business aspects of running a business and resistant to learning. And if anyone's ever read the book, The E-Myth Revisited, this really lays out the problem where mm-hmm. a lot of people who get functionally and technically good at a skill think the natural evolution is to start a business leveraging that skill. But starting a business is a completely different skill set to the technical ability to design logos or uh, design documents, you know. And so when people get into this, they think, well, I'm really great at graphic design. I should just start my own graphic design business. And you can do that. And the business skills are very easily learned. But um, a lot of us also grow up with a certain amount of guilt around selling and being around business. And we resist learning those skills that will actually help us be successful business owners. So that's mistake number one, because if you don't embrace being a business owner as a freelancer, you will never build a business that supports you and gives you what you need to survive. The second mistake that I see a lot of people have is not having a clear client acquisition strategy. And to me, there are really three different routes you can go and you don't have to go at only one. You can have all three of these as part of your strategy. A lot of people assume they're going to work directly with clients, which means, you know, finding a person, selling them on a project, working with them directly, nobody in between. That's kind of the classic freelancing model. That's what I've done for the most part. But there's also a lot of people who are really successful subcontracting to agencies. You know, maybe they are a great logo designer and they build relationships with agencies who are really great at developing websites. And so now that agency can sell a larger project to the end client saying, not only are we going to build the website, but we'll do a whole brand package around uh, your business. And they subcontract to the designer to do that part of the project. That can be really lucrative and really great because you don't have to find the clients yourselves, but it removes a certain level of control that you have of your own destiny and of your own client pipeline. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know people that have uh, taken that direction and although it's great for them because um, it keeps them very busy, but to some degree, it is a little bit like still having a job, still working for someone. You're, you're still working for someone else and uh, you you ultimately don't really own the work that you're doing. It will always be the agency that would get the credit for your work so I guess it depends on what your ultimate goals are like if you if you want the benefits of being a freelancer so being able to work from home and and having control of your time and 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 what you do with it that's the one thing but I know for me and I'm sure other people are the same I I like that control and I like um I like that what I create, I can promote on my website. I can share it off that, that, that was always one of the things that I've hated about working for agencies is that I've, like I've personally worked for, and probably about 15 years working for other companies. Hmm. And I can't really show any of the work that I did in that time. So, you know, in terms of growing as an individual and growing my own business and my own brand and everything like that, I owning what I do uh, as work is important for me. So it all depends on your ultimate goals. Totally. And to me, it's actually a little bit worse than having a job because at a job, you usually have a salary and you know that if they're not sending you work, at least you're getting paid. And with this model, 
you have no idea if they're going to keep selling projects that they can even give you work on. But you're right. Every, everything you create for the agency is building equity in the agency's brand yeah. and the agency's reputation. You sometimes don't even get to communicate directly with the client. So there's no real long-term benefit. And for that reason, that part of the strategy for me has always been just like bonus. I'll consider it. And if it comes in, it feels like a really easy project that just brought in money, but I've never depended on that as part of my mm-hmm. income. Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. the third strategy that I did just want to touch on is sort of the marketplace strategy, you know, Upwork or Contently or any place like that, which is also a really great place to start for a lot of people. But, you know, to me, having a mix of all three of those strategies is what can make your income a little bit more predictable and stable. Yeah. Yeah, totally, totally agree. Because uh, uh, people that I do know that that do work for agencies, they also combine it with their own clients. So it's a, a win-win situation, really. Uh, I was going to say quickly, one benefit of um, people that I have seen that do work for agencies they tend to get involved in much bigger projects than they probably would get on their own. Mm. Uh, those individuals have worked on some huge, huge brands. But, you know, when you see their work in books, it's always credited as the agency. <laughs> <laughs> and I know that's not an issue for them, but I know for some people it's a potential uh, deal breaker. So Exactly. And that, and that company, you know, they're, they're working with the agency of record. They're not working with... They don't even, they might not even know who you are as the small part of that large project. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now you mentioned the book, The Myth Revisited. I absolutely love that book and actually makes a lot of sense for the stuff that you sell as services and and how you support other graphic designers. Because one of the questions I did have for you is that on your website, you do talk about building systems that bring in new leads. So building systems, and I think that's a key uh, one of the key components of that book. So listeners, you have to read that book. I, th- I think anyone that wants to get into business in any way, building um, a-, a company around their skill set, they have to read that book to really understand it. So, But anyway, going into that question that I had, um, so you do talk about building systems that bring in new leads. What does something like that look like in reality? Going back to those client acquisition strategies I was talking about, whatever your strategy is, you need to complement that with a system. And system doesn't always mean software even. You know, a system can be a process that you follow that you know works. It's it's approaching your business as if it's a series of experiments. And when something works, saying, okay, I want to keep running that experiment or keep doing things that way. So for me, when my strategy has been predominantly direct-to-client type work, I realized, wow, building really strong relationships and creating advocates has been the biggest driver of my business. How do I actually put some more rigor and systems around that? And it came down to things like building out a really good CRM where I can keep track of the different people that I've had contact with and the types of things we've talked about. Uh, the last time that I talked with them so I can follow up, you know, there's this, there's this idea called Dunbar's number that says you basically can only maintain, I forget if it's 150 or 250 close personal relationships at a time as a human being. And when you augment that sort of natural cognitive limit with a tool like a CRM, which is a uh, customer relationship management tool, you can really blow that number out of the water. And when so many of our businesses depend on word of mouth or really grow because of word of mouth, it's to your benefit to try and increase the amount of word of mouth you're receiving. And if you can be proactive and be one of those rare people who stays in contact with your, your friends, your family, your even just acquaintances on a regular basis, that can go a really long way. And having a tool like a CRM goes a long way in doing that, but also things, you know, Ian, when you and I scheduled this podcast, we used a tool called Calendly. Mm -hmm. You could spend so much time in your own inbox communicating with clients, trying to schedule time with clients. I joke that Calendly was my first virtual assistant because literally it just did so much work for me in terms of finding a time to talk with Mm -hmm. people. (laughs) And then, you know, 30 minutes spent on the phone after 
15 seconds spent in Calendly booking the time and suddenly there's no more delay in the project. There's no more delay in uh, moving forward with somebody. It's all happening. So systems don't have to be these really big, scary things. Once you get some of these, these systems in place, you can really improve them. Like my CRM, which started as just a way to track the people in my life, is now where I manage all of my content and manage you know the entire process start to finish for my podcast. I've really fleshed that thing out. And now it's like this backbone of my entire business. But systems in the beginning can just be knowing, okay, I know that if I go to Upwork and send 30 proposals today, I'll probably get one or two calls that become clients down the road. Like if you experiment enough and you know that when I put this input into the system of my business, I get this output, create a system around that. So, you know, I'm going to spend the first hour of my day setting proposals on Upwork. That's what I'm going to do. That can be a system. Mm-hmm. I I absolutely love this type of thing. And I've spoken about it on the podcast a number of times because um, I use systems myself. Uh, and it's one of the re- reasons why I like to offer just one core service is that when someone gets in touch with logo design specifically, even when they call, I know exactly what I'm going to say because I have a script in my head that just rolls off my tongue. And I mean, that's one system and it's right. And and just like the whole A to Z of the process, every step all the way through the whole thing is, is, is I mean, it's not properly documented, but I could easily document that and uh, almost give that to someone else. But for, for me, where I see the real benefit um, and and so you know, Jay, I went full time in March. I've been doing uh, a lot of part time freelance projects for a number of years leading up to that. But I, I really noticed it when I went full time, and uh, because I started booking in more projects. So, uh, say for example, I, I booked in a web project, and I used to do a lot of web projects where I used to work, and they had systems in place, but I didn't have any of that at home. <laughs> So I agreed this project and at the, at the beginning, the call, there was no system, no framework to it. So it just took a lot longer. The contracts, the proposals, everything that all needed to be created from scratch because there's no uh, system for it already in place. Mm-hmm. And just running through the entire thing, that project's been going on for like three months now. And it's, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's taken a lot longer than what I thought it would have done. And I feel the the primary reason for that is because I don't have a system in, in place for it. So I, I feel as a a freelancer, anything that's that you repeat over and over again or will repeat again on other projects is absolutely fundamental to success. Cause I know um because I've done so many logo projects. I know exactly how long they would take, exactly what happens at certain points. And it's just easy for me. <laughs> yeah, kind of what you're speaking to, you know, a lot of creatives, they they think about things like systems and they feel almost suffocated by the structure of it because, you know, they want to play. And I totally get that. I'm, I'm naturally a, a fairly anxious person. And what systems do is give you a lot of comfort and confidence and also conserve a lot of your creative energy because you no longer have to make decisions that you've made in the past. You don't have to recreate the wheel. You've already determined, you know, the best way to move forward. And that becomes the system and you don't have to question it. You just do the next part of the chain. You don't have to expend any of your mental energy that day making the same decision again. And you can go into a client call with confidence because you know, like you're saying exactly what happens at this stage. Here's what we do next. This is my process. This is my system. And it gives you a lot of creative energy back and decision-making energy back that you can put towards the uniqueness of that given project or, or task. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And another thing that book talks about is working on your business, not in your business. And I, I, I would say that's like the, the core message of that um, uh, book and uh I mean, now I've been full time. I I totally get it. <laughs> it's it's so important. Now, I, I just wanted to ask you quickly. Uh, you spoke about CRMs. Mm-hmm. What are some typical CRMs that the average freelancer that's just starting can 
sign up to because I, I do know that there's a couple of different options. I've heard people talk about Basecamp, uh, yeah. but I don't know which ones the best ones are. Have you got any advice on, on that side of things? So as a systems person that spent a lot of time using different project management tools, most CRMs are just so much more bloated and robust than anything you would need. And I got really frustrated with it. So where I started was I took a template from Google Docs and used a spreadsheet template and then really beefed that up a little bit. Um, and so to this day, that's the that's the CRM that I give so many of my clients and it's inside the freelancing school courses. I've moved now over to Airtable. But again, that started with a template and then I built on top of it. At the end of the day, what you really need is just an organized way to track somebody's name, their contact information, uh, information about their their website and their social. You need to have a, an area where you can say, here's the last time I talked to this person and here's notes from that conversation. If you have that, that's just about all you need. And then you probably want to add a field to track the status of that relationship. You know, how close is this to being a, a paying client? Because then you can filter by any one of those fields and see day in and day out, okay, I have I have three warm leads that are making the decision whether or not they want to work with me. Last time I talked to this guy was a week ago. This is probably a really good time to follow up and ask him what he thinks of that proposal. It can be really simple. Starting with a spreadsheet is plenty. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm whilst we're talking about relationships, I, I know that is really key for any business, especially a service-based business, uh, which listeners will probably be building. So once you've spoken to that person, if it's a sales interaction, that's easy because if you send over the proposal, you would follow up after you know a week or two. How do you track it when it's someone that you've met and there's currently no form of transaction happening between you? You're just you know, you just spoke at some point, like um, yesterday I had a sales call with a guy. I might not never hear from him, but Mm -hmm. it would be nice to touch base at some point. Keeping all of that information, do you have some kind of system in place so that you get back to them at a certain point later in the year? Yeah. So how long do you wait? Do you wait three months? Do you wait six months? (laughs) It's So the first thing I do is I have different categories or tags for different types of relationships. Um, generally, you know, anytime, anytime you sign a client, it's because they have justified to themselves that you are the person they should and want to hire. And I use this term advocates a lot in, in the things that I teach other freelancers. An advocate is somebody who is that mouth giving you word of mouth. They're that person who is saying good things about you and your business. Anybody in your life can be a good advocate for you and for your business. Almost no one in your life will become a client. Like just statistically speaking, very few people in your life are actually paying clients. And a lot of people go into conversations trying to create a client relationship right away. And I think that's really backwards because even clients start as advocates. So if anyone can be an advocate and even clients start as advocates, any relationship in your life should start as an advocate relationship. So in my CRM, I have a tag that is advocate because before someone can be a prospect, they're going to be an advocate. And before anyone can be a client, they're going to be an advocate. So I use specific terminology like advocate, prospect, and target um, to kind of track the nature of the relationship. You know, is this just somebody that I want to have a good relationship with? Is this somebody who may be a client someday or is this somebody that I actively want to make a client and I'll follow up with those people. I don't have a hard rule of like every month follow up with this person. It's more of when can I chime in to this relationship knowing that it's been a while and add value because just sending an email for email's sake to keep somebody, you know, the relationship quote unquote warm without having something to add isn't actually a great way to nurture the relationship it's better to say, man, I haven't talked with Ian in a while. I should find a reason to, to chat with him. And maybe that's, you know, listening to his podcast and saying, hey, listen to this episode, really liked it. Checking back in, wanted to catch up and see how things are going with you. Have a reason that makes that person feel good. But yeah, to me, it's, it's um, for advocates specifically, 
it's less important to stay in constant contact and more important to leave every interaction with them feeling valued and, you know, grateful for our relationship. And also, frankly, knowing what it is that I'm up to right now. Um, And that doesn't come from having a conversation and saying, here's what I'm doing. Let me tell you a little bit about me. Actually, it comes from having a conversation and asking them a lot of questions about what's going on with them. And at some point they'll realize, oh gosh, I've been talking this entire time. Like what's going on with you? And if you leave the conversation talking about you, that's what's most recent in their mind. They are grateful that you gave them an opportunity to share so much. And now they can go out in the world knowing, you know, okay, sounds like Ian's freelancing and he's, he's, uh, creating logos for people when they cross paths with somebody who says, I need a designer or I need a new logo. You're going to be the first person to mind. I know I've spoken about this on the podcast a number of times, but I, I think it's really important that people understand that networking and, and the people that, you know, is the real core of everything, uh, that you're doing. And, every single person that you know and um i think michael jander mentioned it on a podcast i i, I did with him recently he mentioned even your mum. yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> even your mum can be someone that will go out and once they hear someone that says oh i'm building a business they can be someone that will t- uh, share with that person that y- you can help with that thing so definitely nurture those relationships and I think another key thing, and you you um, alluded to it in in what you just said as well, and and I mentioned it on the podcast before. When you network, I remember when I first started, and I'd go to these networking events, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I don't know if everyone thinks this way, but I remember thinking, I hate this whole networking thing. You go to something, you kind of need to do a sales pitch. You hand over your business card and away you go. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But that's not how networking is. Networking needs to be seen as um, building friendships, getting to know people. And the more genuine it is, the more successful I, I feel that you would be. And I'm going to give a quick example. Um, I've been working really closely with a client over the last year, I would say. Uh, we originally just met through uh, LinkedIn and we've worked on a couple of projects, but we really got to know each other over the time. Like um, I, I know about her her kids and, and what they're doing and uh, she knows about my little one and, uh, you know, we share these stories. And when the whole COVID-19 situation happened, she actually gave me a project and she actually said to me (laughs) that she wanted to make sure that I was busy during this time. Hmm. So she actually created a project for Mm -hmm. me because of that relationship that we built up and, um, you know, I've actually got to know that person. So when it does come around to touching base with her, it's not just a case of going, how's your business going? Do you need any more graphic design? It is more like, um, you know, I noticed that you went on this trip. It's somewhere that I really want to go to. Have you got any advice for places that you went to? You know, I can I can bring in something quite genuine that I feel still like keeps that relationship going. <laughs> totally. I, when people go to networking events or when they think about networking, they often come from a standpoint of collection. Like I want to collect new relationships so I can just like have them in my stable of people. But it's really about connection. It's about yeah. having an actual tie to somebody. I've had a similar experience to you. My first year freelancing, I really messed up my cash flow. And it came to the end of the year and I realized I don't have any projects in the hopper right now and I'm going to run out of cash in the next couple of months. And the first thing I did was I just went back to people who are close to me, advocates who were business owners. And there are a couple of them that I knew personally enough and felt comfortable with enough that they, you know, towards the end of the conversation, they said, so how are things going for you? And I said, actually, really great. I, I started this business this year. I'm excited about X, Y, and Z, but I am having a little bit of a cash flow situation right now. So if if you're looking for some help with A, B, or C, you know, I can do that for you. And that solved my problem because that person not only, you know, knew that I could solve the problem for them because they knew me, we had a history they realize this is an opportunity for me to support this person that I care about. And 
I don't think there's any shame in that. I think that's just really smart. And it's, and it's a like, that was an incredible project. It was like a three or four month retainer. Um, and I enjoyed every bit of it because I already had a relationship with that person. You know, like I would so much rather, I talk about this a lot too. I would rather create clients than find clients. I would rather create projects with people that I want to work with than just try to like capture these projects that are kind of ephemeral and exist right now where a lot of people are competing. I would rather go to somebody and say, I see that you have this problem. I see that you have this need. Let's work on that together. Hmm. That's a really nice way to look at it. So, I mean, what's one example that the the audience could relate with with that? So I know listeners are probably graphic designers and they do all sorts, but in, in terms of like the the branding, logo design side of things, are there any examples that you could give as ideas for people to help them create clients in the way that you did? Totally. And and what doesn't work here, let me preface by saying this, is going to somebody and just pointing out flaws and saying, this part of your business is really bad. Let's fix that. Mm-hmm. That's That's not going to be received well. But when you can have a conversation and start to surface problems that the person may not even be really consciously aware of yet, you have a really great opportunity. And what I mean by that is, go into a conversation and all of us are fairly self-absorbed, like self-centered people. We think about our own problems all day, every day. And so if you go into a conversation and you say, Hey, catch me up, like what's been going on? And they answer and they'll probably answer kind of vanilla. And you can say, okay, it's like, what's the, what's the biggest problem that you're chewing on right now? They're going to like let out this sigh and their shoulders will kind of sink and they'll start unloading on what's been on their mind for the past week. And sometimes that's something that you can help them with either personally or by referring someone else that can solve a problem for them. But when they start doing that, you can repeat back to them and say, well, it sounds like your website isn't uh, performing right now, or it sounds like you're really frustrated with the way that um, people are finding your business. And they'll be like, yes, I just need more clients. And you'll say, do you think, do you think maybe like improving the speed of your website, the look of your website, do you think that would convert more clients? And they'll say, yeah, probably. It's been something I've been wanting to do for a year. I just haven't gotten around to it. And you can say, well, I can do that for you. You know, now you've avoided this whole period of searching. A lot of times when you're trying to find clients, you're entering into their life when they're actively searching and frankly, price shopping for a solution. And instead, you are surfacing this problem. They're feeling that pain. And the solution to that problem is sitting right in front of them. Um, I listened to this really great uh, interview and it was a comedian talking to an actress and they were talking about the process of auditioning for a role. And it's really stressful for the actor because, or the actress because they go in and they sit across this table and this person tells them to read a line. And it's just, it, it feels almost humiliating to feel like you're auditioning for something, literally auditioning. But the difference that this person felt or what they came to realize was the director, the person doing the casting, they want you to be the solution. Like they don't want to sit there all day and talk to 20 people to find the right person. They would so much rather the first person that walks in is very clearly the right person for the job so they can hire them. They can get the job done and they don't have to keep looking in your life as a freelancer. When you're talking to clients or potential clients, they're in the same spot. Like, They want to get the job done. They want to have a good outcome and they want to have it soon. So if you can be the obvious, clear, best solution for somebody, they're going to want to hire you on the spot. They're not going to want to go and do a bunch of price shopping because a lot of business owners will realize that time is money and even looking for other, you know, service providers is costing them time and costing them money. So being confident in your ability to solve problems and really speaking their language to say, I know the outcome you're looking for here. Is it safe to say this is the outcome you're looking for? I can deliver that outcome for you. Here's the price. Too often we get stuck in the, here's how I'm going to do it. Instead of saying, here's, you know, instead of saying, it sounds like you want more of your website visitors to convert to customers. You say, it sounds like you want a new logo. And that may be true, but if you can tie it to a business outcome, it's going to be so much more clear to them why they are paying for this thing. You know, like a new logo is going to 
modernize your brand. It's going to make you look better in the eyes of your customers. That's going to have an effect of more customers or higher brand loyalty. That helps them connect the dots to say, why would I spend money on this? Oh, because it's going to generate money for me in the long term. Great. Mm. Easy. Absolutely. Fantastic answer, Jay. Um, I would say the way that you speak and the way that you answer questions is almost like you had it prepared already. And I mean, for listeners, I just pulled that question out. You know, that wasn't planned. (laughs) Brilliant answer, Jay. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Now I'm going to move on to one of my other questions because there was something that I read on your website that I think hit home with me a lot personally. And I, I can imagine that anyone that goes full-time will probably have this realization at some point. So you said that you do not equate earnings with success and that if you were to look at earnings alone, that 2019 for you would have looked like a huge step backwards. And that was something that really hit me because at the moment, and I'm going to be honest with you and listeners, since going full-time, I've done loads of work and I've made plenty of money to keep going for a while but at the same time there's a part of me that doesn't feel like I've made any real progress so I wanted to ask you like that sentence that you said what what did you mean by that when you said that well I actually meant several things in the context of the article this is an article where I was breaking down basically the finances of my business over the last three years, Mm -hmm. which isn't something that I do very often. But every year since I've started my business, I have given an annual reflection. And so being three years in, I wanted to give, now that I had several data points and a trend, I could give some context to like, how's this business doing? What's What's the reality of a freelance business three years in? And so in that article, one, it shows that 2020 for me has actually been a really great year. And so part of my statement of I don't equate earnings with success was saying, I don't want you to feel bad if your numbers don't look like this. And then also part of it was looking at last year, which was a 25% income reduction from the year before. I wanted to say, I don't feel bad about that sacrifice either. And, and frankly, you know, when people get into freelancing, most of the time it's because they want some sort of freedom or flexibility or optionality. They felt undervalued, overworked. Uh, They felt like their creative energy was going to other people and they couldn't do things on their own. And so they start freelancing. And then suddenly the, the bar of success is six figures. You need to be making six figures as a freelancer on your own. And that's really hard to do, frankly, and you can do it. But if your goal is six figures as a solo freelancer, you're also probably not spending a lot of time on your own personal projects, to be to be frank. Mm-hmm. And so to me, earnings is not a measure of success. Your measure of success is your measure of success. You have to know why you're doing this in the first place. A lot of people don't want to freelance forever either. They're, they're doing this as a means for flexibility. In my case also, I wanted to create a financial engine that was in my control but also really flexible as to when I turn it on and turn it off so that I could have my own control of my time and what I was doing. So to to go back to the article last year, earning 25% less than the year before was because I was working on my business and not in my business. And that has had a huge effect on this year's income. And so when we, when we get caught up in just our income numbers and, you know, what's our top line look like, that can really confuse us. Not to mention, despite being down 25% last year in terms of gross income, I actually had 24% more profit than the year before. So as far as like health of the business goes and how comfortable I was financially, I was actually much more comfortable earning far less on its face. So there are a lot of levers that you can pull as a business owner And really what you want to do if you're freelancing to support your lifestyle, you need to understand what is a lifestyle that you want and how do I actually support that? It might not be this mythical six-figure mark, and that's okay, especially if that's not why you started in the first place. I think that's the reason why it really hit me because I've been full-time now for 
around four months. And like I said, I've been working really hard and um, I've, I've had this thing on the back of my mind that every day I need to focus on bringing in the money because I've, I've noticed that um, well, you can sit down and do all the work that you need to do, but actually doing the work isn't the thing that makes you the money. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's bringing in the new projects and finishing the projects. That's the only point with my current uh, business model where I actually make any income. Mm-hmm. So that's the, that's the thing that I've, I've been really, really focusing on. But then something that I realized and it hit me when I read that, and, and I think it's good for listeners to hear this as well, is that by doing what I've been doing, I'm actually in exactly the same position as what I was when I worked for an agency. And doing all this work, I don't have any time to add any case studies. I don't have any time to work on things that I want to do. Like I want to do a magazine. I want to do uh, maybe a course and some books and so on. And there's all these things I've been dreaming of doing for a long time. But because I taking on all these projects it's great I have money you know it's it's a nice situation to be Mm -hmm. in but then I'm realizing that that is a trade-off to other things so suddenly I don't have the time that I want for the things that I really want to work on but they are things that don't make money now totally (laughs) they are things that will make money next year so what you said about you you reduce your income so that you had time to work on your business that year you made a loss well you know Mm -hmm. from a figures point of view you made a loss but this year because of the work that you did you're now making more than what you would have done if you didn't pause totally and I, I think that's really important and it's funny you know I've mentioned this same thing to a couple of other freelancers within the last week and they've all said the same thing it's like oh yeah I'm not I'm not spending enough time working on my own thing it's almost like they forgot because they're so focused on working in their business you know just speaking with clients getting in the money doing the invoicing doing the actual design work or whatever they do that they forget that things like writing case studies adding that uh working on your website redesigning your website updating your systems updating your processes uh working on some product that could generate a recurring income they forget that that's building their business long term and I think it's it's uh, for me personally it's something that I I've become very conscious of in the last couple of weeks and and that was partly triggered by reading uh, that from you and I just think yes if you're freelance you need to be thinking long term and not just uh, short term it's so easy to become the boss that caused you to quit the agency in the first place. It's so easy to yeah. forget that you are your own biggest client. If that's the reason why you got into freelancing in the first place, like I, I am constantly turning down like, okay, work most of the time. Um, the stuff that comes in just doesn't get me all that excited. And if, if the work isn't super aligned to what I want for my own future, I'm actually going to just like eat that opportunity and put that time and energy into my own projects, knowing that long-term that's, what's going to pay off, which is really hard to do. It's, it's really hard to look at, uh, money, frankly, and say, I don't want that because I know that the expectation is a lot of the time that I want to use for my own stuff it's really hard to, to make that call. Um, and honestly, the only way you can make that call is if you're comfortable enough with your finances that you know that you can. Um, and you, you know, if you don't have a budget in place, if you don't have a system for managing your own money, it's really hard to turn down paying projects because you don't know where you stand and you don't know if you can afford to do that. Um, another reason why, you know, working on the business, not just in the business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I know how I can personally predict. What I do is I have a separate account that my clients pay into. And that's not something I can touch. That's just there and it just accumulates. 
and then I basically pay myself. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so I've I've got it set up so it just automatically transfers over to another account. And and I don't know if this is the way that you would uh, you would advise really to smart. do it, but I, for, for for me it, it just makes it easy because I know each month I'm going to pay myself this amount of money, and then the rest of it is what I can use either to hire people to help with things or you know it's just for paying myself so I can almost predict it's like okay there's like six months worth of salary there for me so I could technically pause for that length of time and um, be okay so I, I don't know if you have another better method for managing that type of thing that's a really great system I mean at the end of the day you need to realize that you're going to be responsible for taxes uh, yeah. and a lot of freelancers, especially in their first year, don't realize that and they under save and then tax time comes around and they owe money for the first time in their life. They're <laughs> used to getting a refund and now they owe money and they don't have it. And now they're in this like chronically cash strapped position. So if you, you know, if you can look every month at your finances and figure out, okay, here's what came in. Here's my estimated tax on that. I'm going to put that in an account over here and hold it. Um, Mm -hmm. what you're doing, Ian is pretty close to a profit first methodology or can very easily adapt to a profit first methodology, which I think is a great system for somebody who is freelancing. But at the end of the day, you need to make sure one that, you know, what your average monthly expenses are. Like, do you know how much it costs you to exist every month? Both like from firstly, yeah, yeah. I've, I've got it all written down in a book at the end of each month. And um, I mean, going into this in more detail so that you understand, I'm sure listeners will be interested. I've got an, I've got three accounts and I've, I've got the one where clients pay. And then at the end of each month, I kind of do my accounts myself and um, I, I write down everything that I've, I've, I've got it written down in a book. I've got an, an electronic copy as well, but I like to have it down in writing um but I, i'll write down all the income that i've made and then i'll work out okay this percent needs to be for tax and i'll put that into a separate account so i've got one that's my personal money you know where all mm-hmm. my bills and stuff go out i've got my business one and then i've got the tax one mm-hmm. <laughs> i hate looking at that tax one because a lot of the time it's like I, if i really want a new car <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um but yeah i find that just it it just separates those things so I I think I would be quite stressed if it was all in one account and you know I know on the back of my mind it'd be like am I allowed to spend that I don't know I think just having it separate just makes it more manageable and for, for me I don't know how other people do it but for me that's just the most simple most basic way to do it is just to each month work it out and then transfer that into the other account and it's just they're ready for when tax time comes. That's a great system. And I don't know if um, uh, in the UK they have better personal finance training than we do here in the US. We receive like no training. So most of the clients and freelancers that I work with have a single bank account when I'm working with them. Like they might not even have a business bank account yet. They might not even have Mm. a legal entity yet. And so to have that system in place is really, really great because you're already thinking in terms of where are you know the buckets of my money going and let me make sure I have enough in each of those buckets to actually afford the things that need to happen. And you know, treating your business as if you are uh, receiving a wage is really smart too because it's always better at tax time to realize, oh, I oversaved for taxes. I'm going to get a refund. That's such a better way of running your business than being at break even all the time and stressed out. I even have a, a profit account that I am trying to generate profit. That's the point of my business. So when I earn money, uh, I think it's 10% of my allocation right now goes towards profit and that lives in a separate profit account. I have a tax account. Mm-hmm. I have owner's mm-hmm. comp. I have uh, business operation expenses. Those are the buckets that I have. And it's so much more comfortable now to realize, oh, like when tax time comes, I have enough money, probably more than enough money. And if I do have more than enough money, I'm going to put that in the profit account. And that profit account every year can go towards what I need it to. Maybe it's new software for the business. Maybe it's a new camera so I can start doing things on video. Maybe it's, you know, towards a down payment on a house. It's it's nice to have that 
flexibility. But when you're operating out of a single bank account and just kind of estimating all the time, it, it doesn't give you that. Mm, I think as well, one of the other benefits of paying myself a monthly salary is that I know exactly how much I need to make each month yes. to be comfortable. Yes. So as long as I make that much, it's fine. Yes. And every time I get to that point, I kind of relax a little bit. Like I don't need to to stress too much. But if I see I need to make another, you know, say thousand dollars or thousand pounds, and I, you know, I just knuckle down and just either contact existing clients or you know do what I can to try and attract some yes uh, new potential clients. But yeah, with <laughs> I don't know if you find it with freelancing. I'm sure listeners will be in this situation. But yeah, you can have some month where where you're doing incredibly well, and other months where you're doing not so well. But I think if you know in those months where you do you know make like five figures, say don't suddenly like just splash out on uh, <laughs> don't need to work holiday or something <laughs> <laughs> yeah keep that in a in that account and you know continue to pay yourself because that that month where you've done really well will balance out the months where you don't do so well so actually just ongoing you can you can manage everything quite comfortably yeah now we're near the end of the time that we have so i want to ask you and uh, I want to give you a bit of an opportunity to talk through what you are doing to help freelancers. So what are some of the services that you're currently providing to help freelancers accelerate their growth? So to answer that question, I think it's uh, prudent to kind of talk about how I got here. Um, sure. When I started my business and I was freelancing without realizing that I was freelancing, the first thing that I started doing was facilitating mastermind groups for friends and, and business owners around me who didn't have the built-in community that I did. And that became Unreal Collective, which is still my main business to this day. It's a community, but more than that, it's it's also this 12-week accelerator program that um, looks a lot like a mastermind program. We meet every week for an hour um, for 12 weeks straight, and I do that program two to three times a year. And coming from a startup background, I thought that my clients for that program would be other startup founders. And within a matter of months, it was pretty clear that the people who wanted that uh, help the most were service-based businesses. And so through working with more than 100 freelancers through that program, I realized all these commonalities that freelancers um, do well and don't do well, a lot of things that we talked about in this conversation and so I turned that into a set of courses around three key verticals, business for freelancers, marketing for freelancers, selling for freelancers, helping people embrace the need to become a business owner with the business course, helping people feel confident and comfortable and uh, effective in marketing themselves, and then also helping them sell projects. So that's freelancing school. That's that platform. And since publishing those courses, um, now I write articles pretty frequently uh, we have a free community for freelancing school and for freelancers uh, themselves. That's the biggest thing. Um, Unreal Collective, the accelerator program still runs. We'll have a cohort in the fall. But freelancing school is where I'm really trying to help as many people as possible. When the pandemic hit, uh, I cut the prices for all of those programs in half because I wanted people to be able to support themselves and their families and grow their businesses. So yeah, that's at freelancing.school. And I'm going to say that you need to sign up to your email newsletter. Um, I, I'm going to say for, for listeners, how I actually found out about Jay, um, I was speaking with uh, on a Zoom call with uh, a few other graphic designers. And someone actually mentioned you. And what I did uh, immediately, it was kind of like on that moment, you know, it was on a Zoom call. Someone else was speaking and I, I was multitasking. And I, I signed up to your newsletter just to keep up to date with what you were doing and uh your emails come through and i get loads of emails so half the time i just click on them scroll through them but yours are always very genuine very helpful and just worth it's just worth signing up to because i think it's it's very good information and really well written thank you yeah i'm in a season of trying to create as many free resources as i can um I've been writing for several years now. I have a podcast called Creative Elements that publishes weekly now. 
uh, the community that we just launched, that's all free. And so if you're in a position where you just want to connect with people and kind of learn through this content, like by all means, follow along. That's why I'm doing it. Um, if you, if you really want to put some, some rigor behind your business and, and get up to speed and feel more confident, uh, being a business owner, then the courses are a great way to to self-guide your way through that. Mm-hmm. And I'll link to that all in the show notes so that people can easily find it. So I'm going to ask you one last question, and it, it's a little bit of a fun one. So based on everything that you know now, you're obviously very knowledgeable and you've got loads of experience and you've done a lot already in a short period of time. If you could get in a time machine, and travel back to any point in your career and you could give yourself just one piece of advice before you come back what advice would you give to yourself my my favorite answer to this question is buy bitcoin (laughs) (laughs) but putting that aside um it's it's hard to say because you know i'm really happy with where i'm at right now and everything that i've done has led me exactly to this moment right Mm -hmm. the every Every system is perfectly designed to achieve the results that it achieves. So it's hard for me to make this guess, but what I've done really well and what I would encourage myself to keep doing and do more of is investing in people and relationships um, and even my own education. You know, um, a lot of uh, people have courses and have coaching programs. I don't know of as many people that invest in those same programs as I do, Um over the last few years, I've put something like $25,000 into my own education on stuff like this. So I would, I would encourage myself to keep doing that. But the one thing I would probably change, it wasn't until I was doing interviews on my new podcast, Creative Elements, when I realized that all the creators that I looked up to, as a staple of their business, they're all creating things catered for search. Like they're all rooting their content strategy in search engine optimization. And I didn't put any effort into that for the first almost three years of creating content. And so I have all of these quote unquote assets that I put time into creating that actually aren't generating any real value for me long term. Like they're interesting to read on the fly. You know, the the kind of way I would put it is they are they're more Seth Godin than they are uh, Neil Patel, you know, like. It's, it's something that you can open, you can read quickly, you can be like, I'm glad I read that, but you're not going to be Googling for something and find that article. And so I think it's more important to realize you need strategy and execution to get results. You can't execute without a strategy. Trying to execute, trying to just create without knowing why or what you're creating is kind of just blind action. Um and so I wish I would have woken up to that a little bit earlier. Yeah, I totally agree. I actually think I'm I'm quite lucky when it comes to SEO um, because the agency that I, I recently left uh, to go full time, within the company, they actually had an SEO team and I was sat quite near them. Mm. So I, I was lucky enough to be exposed to a lot of the uh, tips and advice and approaches that they took and I personally don't think I would be doing what I'm doing now if it wasn't for writing with intent for search and personally I don't think I've ever done anything that incredibly well with any of that content but it's been enough to position me high up on in the search results on Google and that's how I get clients now so I totally agree with that advice for your younger self and also for listeners as well and it's worth calling back to that uh same line that we talked about earlier of it depends why you're doing this you know it's it's not worth worrying about seo and creating content if that's not part of what you want to do you know a lot of people will think to get more clients i need to make content and that's not necessarily the shortest path to getting more clients um probably more time just spent building one-to-one relationships would be faster. So for me, you know, I want to get to a point where my content is what's earning me an income and and not client work. And that's why this is an important strategy for me. But if you're freelancing because you want to work with a portfolio of clients and you want to invest your creative time into some other type of project, then I wouldn't worry about content necessarily or SEO. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was a good thing to say. 100% agree. Anyway, Jay, this has been absolutely fantastic. I'm glad that I uh, reached out to you originally. And um, yeah, it's been it's been really good to speak about um, freelancing. So I'm, I'm sure there would be a lot of listeners out there that are already thinking about freelancing or freelance or already that would hopefully have got something out of this. So thank you so much for coming on and thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thanks for giving me the platform. I haven't geeked out this deep on the topic of freelancing uh, over the course of an hour for a long time. So I'm excited to, <laughs> to share this with my folks too. If you enjoyed this episode, let myself and Jay know by giving us both a shout out on social media. I always love to hear from you guys. So please do let me and Jay know that you listened to this and you enjoyed the episode. If you want to learn more about Jay Klaus, head to his website, jayklaus.com. Alternatively, check out the show notes where I'll link to that, his social profiles, training courses, podcasts, and more. I'll also link to any books or resources that we mentioned in the podcast, as well as the full transcription too. So to find the show notes for this episode, head to logageek.uk forward slash 94. Again, if you want to find the show notes, head to logogeek.uk forward slash 94. If you're keen to discuss anything mentioned in this interview with me and nearly 10,000 logo designers from around the world, join the Logo Geek community on Facebook. It's free to join. It's also very active. So if you have questions, you will get them answered. So to find that, just head to logogeek.uk forward slash community or do a search on Facebook for the Logo Geek community and hopefully you will find it. Also, something else I want to mention is the Logo Designers box set. It's a set of six ebooks I put together to help you through the logo design process. It's free to download and you can find it just by heading to boxset.logogeek.uk. By downloading those, you'll also be signing up to my newsletter so you'll be notified when new podcast episodes come out. And I'll also share any interesting tools or resources that I've come across that I feel that could be useful to you as a fellow logo designer. Again, if you want to find it, head to boxset.logogeek.uk. So that is it for this week, but I'll see you the same time next week for another exciting episode of the Logo Geek Podcast.